1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, Anything more than that comes from evil. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall
1: with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program, and we're so glad to have you back. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles or on your devices if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we're continuing with Pastor Keith's series, Ten Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, from the Old Testament book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, to be changed by it, to have our understanding, Lord, coordinated and guided by your word. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, so here we are, 10 Rules for Life. We're going into rule number three today, 10 Rules for Life an Antidote for Chaos. How did we get here? Well, last week, we sort of gave a tongue-in-cheek homage to Jordan Peterson's uh, book, 12 Rules for Life, which is now an international bestseller. Peterson wrote, based on his years as a clinician and a psychologist and an academician, and he wrote this book about an Antidote for Chaos, 12 Rules for Life. And the book was translated into Mandarin, German. It's been a bestseller in the United Kingdom. It's been a bestseller in Australia, Canada, the United States. It's been heralded in many circles, hated in some. And what it is is sort of common sense blocking and tackling wisdom about how to function in this world. And it's okay. It's, it's, it's got its flaws. Uh, Peterson comes at this not from a Christian worldview. And so he makes mistakes, he gets a lot right, and he gets some things wrong. For our series, we're looking to a different book, and we have ten rules for life. And These are the Ten Commandments. They are indeed an antidote for chaos. And our book has been published in hundreds of languages. It's been a bestseller since it came out. Uh, and the author always hits a home run. He never strikes out. He gets it right all the time, and the author is God. And so we thought we would look to this book, to the Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. These are the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Jewish people call them the Ten Words. And they are an antidote for chaos because they teach us how to relate to God, Commandments 1 through 4, and Commandments 5 through 10, how to relate to one another. And they serve as a spiritual GPS, as a rodent map to reality to help us navigate the twists and turns of our culture today. Because we live in a very relativistic culture. The Ten Commandments were given on the plains of Moab around 1446 BC on Mount Sinai to reacquaint the Jewish people with their God and how, what his most basic expectations of them were. They had been living in Egypt 400 plus years of slavery and they had sort of adopted some of the practices of Egyptian culture, and so God brings them out and sets them on a path from chaos to order, from upheaval to peace, from confusion to clarity and He does it with these ten rules for life. Now, some people look at the ten commandments as don 't do this and don 't do that I look at them as as ten rules for life I look at them as ten protections I look at them as ten blessings I look at them as ten ways that we can keep our life on track. And that's the basis of our series. Last week, we covered rules one and two. May God the priority and accept no substitutes. You shall have no other gods before me. And don't bow down and worship an idol. And this week, we come to commandment number three, which which really is this, be careful what you say. And there in uh, invisible ink are the words, and do. And our text for this rule number three is Exodus 20, verse 7. And Exodus 20, verse 7 is an often misunderstood verse. I'll read it for you, and then we'll sort of get into it a little bit. I'll give you some more background. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the basis for our third rule for life. This is the basis for our third ingredient in an antidote for chaos. And we look at this, and as somebody said, oh, that, that word vain, you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. When I studied this passage, I was cut to the quick. There was a side of me that just wanted to crawl underneath my bed and wait for the return of Christ because I realized the implications and applications of this one verse. Because if you violate this verse, you violate the two above it, the two commands above it, and all the commands that follow. And we don't take this verse seriously enough. The Jewish people in the Old Testament days and the New Testament days, and even the Orthodox Jews today, are, were and are so afraid of uh, outwardly taking the name of the Lord their God in vain that they have gone and continue to go to great strengths to avoid doing it. If you had a Hebrew Bible with you, when you come to this commandment, you'll, you'll have the name there. You know, it'll talk about that. You'll, it'll say, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And where it says, Lord, in your English Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In Hebrew, it says Yahweh. But the Jewish people have something called ketiv kareh, what is written and what is said. And when they're reading that verse out loud in synagogue, they will not pronounce the name. They have an alternative name in the margin, Adonai. And they went so far as to create a word, which really doesn't exist in Hebrew. It shows up in the King James Version, Jehovah which has the consonants from Yahweh and the vowel pointing from Adonai. But there's no such word because they just don't want to say, they're they are so afraid of doing anything to take his name in vain, outwardly anyway. I even had a, a Jewish friend send me an email once and he put the word God in there, but it was G hyphen D. He didn't want to put the O in there because he was just trying to stay away from violating this commandment. Now the problem is that Jesus deals with this in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which we've already studied together, is they followed the letter of the law, but they ignored the heart of the law. And that's why Jesus again and again and again says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And we're going to do some of that today. But our problem today is we're like the Jewish people in Jesus's time. By the time Jesus's earthly public ministry had started, Judaism was morally bankrupt. It was, just a, it was a, a skeleton of its former self. It was legalism, They had gutted the law. They had hollowed it out. And they had reduced the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, these Ten Rules for Life to just outward things. But they pretty much lived around them and through them. And they navigated through the white spaces to live lives that utterly lacked integrity. From the Pharisees to the Sadducees to the scribes. And so Jesus has to warn them again and again. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you... And he goes on to say, if you hate somebody, you've committed murder in your heart already. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Jesus taught them both. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes just taught the letter. And he goes on to say, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, with adulterous thoughts, you've committed adultery already. And so what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of some background for us here, is he's expositing? He is explaining the Ten Commandments, the Law, and the Prophets. And as we think about taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, I want you to understand it goes beyond just saying a curse word with God's name. It goes well beyond that. It goes well beyond what you say. It also has to do with what you do. And we we need to understand that. Uh, and so you'll see sort of a sample of this if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew five thirty three to thirty seven. He starts out talking about false witness because he is explaining the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he kind of nuances subtly over to taking God's name in vain by making oaths that have to do with God, but don't take God too seriously. And we'll see this in Matthew five thirty-three to 37. Again, there it is. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. James, reiterating this point, says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And what's going on here is this. In that era, even today, if you go to the Middle East, lying is a way of life. People make all kind of crazy vows and promises they never intend to keep, and they swear on their mother's grave, or they swear on the sand in their sandals, or they swear on their children, or whatever it is, they just avoid swearing to God. And in Jesus's day, they'd swear on the temple, they'd swear on the law, uh, they'd swear on the gold that's on the altar in the temple, but they'd never swear in God's name. And he's saying, you've already done it. By your actions, words, deeds, you have taken the name of the Lord your God in vain. Look again at Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Today, we don't think much about that. We don't. What we do is we do it without even thinking about it. We send a text with OMG. We have emojis to that effect. We see a guy score, shoot a basket or strike out a pitcher or score a touchdown. We say, oh my God. We hit our thumb with a hammer and we say Jesus Christ, or we appeal to people as Christians and attempt to manipulate them for personal gain. Those are all violations of this commandment. And when you violate taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, you have violated the first commandment, and you have violated the second commandment, and all of the rest. I cannot emphasize that enough. And this, this command, this rule for life is an antidote for chaos Because it will keep you from doing things that will affect you the rest of your life and and affect those you love. A lot of times we talk about the Ten Commandments and we talk about the fact that we don't want to break them. You can't break them. You and I cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can violate them, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And heaven and earth will pass away before one of these commandments passes away. And so what we do, in the words of Cecil B. DeMille, you remember the guy who made the movie The Ten Commandments? He had this great quote that said, basically, we can't break the Ten Commandments, but we break ourselves upon them. And he went on to observe that mankind has made something like 32 million laws since the Ten Commandments, but none, have ever, none were ever better, none were ever more complete, none has ever improved on God's will, on God's commands. And so what we want to do today is we really want to understand this third commandment, this third rule for life, so that we can live lives that really... Bless God and bless others. So let's just jump right in here. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this by asking and answering three questions. We want to do this so that we can avoid the chaos and confusion that we bring about sometimes when we fail to honor God in our own lives by taking his name in vain. So we want to ask and answer three questions about the Ten Commandments so that we can avoid the chaos and confusion that is associated with living our lives as if God is irrelevant, doesn't exist, or isn't worthy and the first question we're going to ask is this What does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? What does it mean exactly? We see it in Exodus 20, verse 7, and we're told that those who do that will not be held guiltless. But what does that mean? Well, let's sort of take this passage apart a little bit. Let's understand the background and history of it. In the ancient Near East, in Palestine, Canaan, Israel, in those times, in that part of the world, and even today, to some extent, the concept of one's name wasn't like Tom, Dick, or Harry. It it had to do with their character, with their integrity, with their respectability, and their reputation. And so when you think about that, when you took somebody's name in vain, or when you took your own name in vain, or when you take God's name in vain, you're toying with his character, his credibility, and his reputation by what you say or by what you do. The New American Standard renders it this way. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. To use God's name in a careless way brings disrepute upon his character, and the deeds that we do irreverently reflect upon his name. To fail to perform an oath like Jesus talked about would be to act like God doesn't exist. Well, I swear to God this is going to happen, and then you don't do it. So that must mean that God doesn't exist or that he's not worth taking seriously. You have invoked an oath on his name and taken his name in vain. The concept of personal names in the Old Testament and in the New had to do with the existence and character and reputation of an individual or a being. And our actions as God-followers, as God-fearers, as Christ-followers, should not endanger the reputation of God. Our actions, not just our words, should not indicate that we don't take his existence all that seriously. We must not live like functional atheists. We should live carefully, not carelessly, and we should not carelessly, uselessly, or thoughtlessly invoke his name for any reason or use it to promote our own ends or personal gain. It goes well beyond profanity. Now, it includes profanity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. Taking the Lord's name in vain, taking his reputation in vain, surely covers profanity. But it goes well, well beyond that. It goes well, well beyond words. It has to do with our actions. I would say it's 20% what we say and about 80% what we do. And most of the time, like good Pharisees, 21st century Christians just like that first 20% and we just blow off the last 80. We like the letter of the law, but we ignore the spirit of the law. And that's what we're talking about today is the whole package. The Holman Christian Standard Bible has this translation and it keys on the word misuse. I want you to listen to this. I I think we have a slide. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. It goes beyond just your speech. It's an action. Again, as we talked about before, in the Middle East in Jesus' time, and in Judaism in Jesus' time, Judaism was morally bankrupt and people lied about everything. And they had to give these hyper oaths to be taken seriously. And so they would like, I dare you, I double-dog dare you, I double-double-dog dare you. But they would do it with religious things. Or they'd do it with things that should have mattered to them, like their children, their wives, the temple, Jerusalem, swearing by Jerusalem, was swearing by the city of the great king, and the great king is God. And so we must not misuse his name. People perjured themselves in court. They put their hand on a Bible and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, taking God's name in vain. You see this with politicians today. You know, they'll they'll say they believe in God. I remember hearing a, a politician out of New York State, another one out of Massachusetts. They both said that they were Christians, but they didn't let their religious beliefs influence their policy. That's taking the name of the Lord their God in vain. Because Christianity isn't something we do, it's something we are. We are Christian. And we take God and his word and his commandments very seriously. You see it a lot of time in uh, business people, you know, it says Christian owned and operated. You want to be careful because that means you're going to do the very, very best work you possibly can. You don't want to do shoddy work. And so Jesus confronts this. He warns the people, actually, in Mark 7, 8 and Matthew fifteen eight. He says this, you leave, you ignore the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And they basically took the Ten Commandments and said, yeah, it says this, but you can do everything else but that. They take the white space between the lines and give themselves all kinds of freedom that wasn't there. And in Matthew 15, 8, it says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. What's he quoting? Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. And the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And that's where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But if you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But if you've looked at a woman with adulterous thoughts, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Jesus said, you've heard it say not to swear falsely, but you know what? Don't swear at all. Just do what you say you're going to do. Because anything less, if you've named the name of Christ, brings reproach, brings criticism upon his name. People look at you as if you're a hypocrite. And when you don't do what you're supposed to do as a Christian, and if you're one of those out there Christians, who you know and calling attention to yourself... And then living like the world, you're taking his name in vain. And what happens to us, and it happens to all of us to one extent or the other, me included, is you are in this world where the end justifies the means, where people are doing all kinds of things, and you almost become numb to it. You're like the frog in a kettle, where they put the frog in a kettle of water, and they slowly turn up the heat. And before he's known, before we know it, we've been cooked like the culture. And these 10 rules for life prevent that. They inoculate us from that. They, they are the antidote to chaos because when you lose sight of God, first four commandments teach us how to relate to God, the next six teach us how to relate to man, and they all teach us how to worship. When we lose sight of that, we enter into uncharted territory. These ten commands, these rules for life are our spiritual GPS. They are our roadmap to reality, and we must not take God's name in vain. We must not misuse it in any way shape or form. And how do you avoid doing that? Be careful what you say. That's the title of the sermon. It's the application. Be careful what you say and be careful what you do. Now we come to our second question. What is involved in taking the name of the Lord in vain? I sort of alluded to this already, but we're going to dig down a little bit deeper. Again, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anything anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And when it says anyone, it means anyone. A lot of times, you know, we say, well, I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven. And you know what? No one, saved or unsaved, is going to be left undealt with. Yes, you've been forgiven the eternal consequences of your sin. But when we do this, when we do this, there are going to be consequences. And that's why Jesus warns again. I want to go back to Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this is evil. What is he saying? Keep your word. Do what you say. Don't go crazy. Just be who you are and do what you say. Speak the truth. We'll talk about false witness later. Don't take your Christian conduct lightly. We bear the name of Christ, right? Christian, which means a little Christ. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of Christ. And as representatives of him, everything we say, think, and do reflects on his message, on his character, on his glory. Just keep your word. Beyond anything, Anything beyond that is evil. We have to remember who's present. People are watching. We've talked about this before. We live in a surveillance culture. My iPhone is listening to everything that I do. Alexa, the Amazon thing, you know, the uh, Google thing. We plugged one in the office just for fun. And before we knew it, it was talking to us because it was hearing everything we were saying. And we unplugged that little guy. And I gave it to Jono and he's got it in his office. So. But the bottom line is people are watching and you can take God's name in vain by playing the hypocrite, by playing the fool, by playing the Pharisee. Paul writes to Titus, the young preacher, in Titus 2, 7-8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's j-o-n-o at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you